0: Welcome to this week's episode of Weekly Devotions with Pastor James. My name is James, and we pray that you're having a great day. And if you're listening to this episode when it just airs, when it first drops, uh, it is after Christmas, and I pray that you had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas, and I uh, pray that you had a lot of time with your family and your friends, and uh, now we just get to go, go through winter. Well, some of you, depending on where you live, and I know by um, the the things that uh, Podbean shows me. Some of you, uh, January and February, they're not cold months for you. Where I live, uh, there's a good chance that uh, I'll spend some days sometime in January and February, about seven or eight degrees as the high temperature. And so got am to battle through uh, the winter yet, but some of you don't have to worry about that. I'm not jealous, but um, I wouldn't mind, you know, having warmer temperatures than, than, eight degrees. But uh, it is still December, and so we're still working through uh, the little series that we've been doing this month, and I pray that it's been a a blessing to you. And if it has been, please let us know. Uh, You could do that by liking and subscribing and sharing these podcasts. I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. But you could also connect with us at guardingthewell.com. Once again, that's guardingthewell.com, and there's a whole lot of stuff over there at the, the website, and you could check us out there. There and connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have a question, uh, maybe uh, we could do an episode on that question. Just let us know. We would uh, greatly appreciate the feedback. But We've been, uh, this month, looking at Christmas through some of the most popular uh, hymns that are sung in the church, and we've we've looked at Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, O Holy Night, and this episode I saved for the last one because uh, we're going to take a look at O Come All Ye Faithful, and it is one of, if not my favorite, Christmas hymn and so we're going to be taking a look at that and i pray that it is a blessing to you and i pray that it is an encouragement to you this christmas season as we get into the new year and with that Uh, Thank you for all um, your listening and downloads and hopefully prayers over the last year. Uh, We've seen a lot of uh, growth here at the podcast, and so that's only because of you. And so I thank you for that. And I pray that the Lord blesses you as uh, we go into a new year. And hopefully God uses all of us for his kingdom and his glory. And so with that said, uh, I'll turn you over to the last message in this series that we're doing on this uh, podcast. Christmas through the the lens of, oh, come all ye faithful. You have a great day. Be seated. Um, If you would, if you have your Bibles uh, with you, or you could use the Pew Bible if you want to open up to John chapter 1. Uh, We're going to be looking at one verse this morning, uh, John chapter 1, and so if you want to open up there, uh, as uh, you're getting there, I will pray, Uh, we will get to uh, the scriptures in a couple minutes, but John chapter 1, verse 14, Uh, let's go Lord, in prayer once again. Father, we come to you today because of your word, because of who you are, and we're grateful that we are able to worship you through song, but also looking into your word. And Lord, a prayer that I was reminded of this week in my studies, I pray today, Lord, I pray that you would make us more into your image. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you'd make us what we are not, that we would become more and more like you in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, our emotions, our words, our actions, but I pray that you would work today. I pray that you'd give me your grace and your mercy and your truth. That you'd give to us a word that we're able to cling to, hold on to, to learn, to apply, to live out, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, it's uh, I, I tell you this every uh, Sunday, the last Sunday of December, December every year. I tell you, you're going to hear the next thing uh, next Sunday as well. Uh, The last Sunday of December and the first Sunday of January are two of the typical uh, church Sundays that almost every church in America sees a drop in attendance. I don't know why it is, but I was so glad like years ago it finally dawned on me like through study. I'm like, oh, it's... Hey, every church has this. It's not just us. It's one of those things. You know when you feel comforted in your pain because other people are going through the same thing? It's one of those things. And so uh, I am so great. I'm so glad to see you. I really do pray that you had a great Christmas yesterday. Uh, I don't know about you, but Christmas Day feels like it's four days wrapped up in one. Does anybody else feel like that? That's just me. I, uh, we have Christmas part two today at my house, and so... Um, I may fall asleep preaching today, uh, which is usually the opposite. You're usually falling asleep, and I'm talking, or today I might fall asleep. It's just one of those things. But uh, I cannot believe today we finish up our Christmas uh, series. And uh, it's in the bulletin, but next Sunday we start a three-week mini-series called, as Bob already mentioned, How Are You Doing Really? And we're going to take a look at three mental health aspects, loneliness, depression, and anxiety. Um So hopefully you could join us for that. But this morning we finish up our Christmas series. And Christmas has come and gone, at least Christmas Day has come and gone. And I don't know about you, I'm still trying to find that slow down button because I would really like the slow down button for many, many reasons. So if you know where that is, please, please let me know where that is. But do you realize that Christmas is a different holiday than all the other ones? How long do you take to get ready for Thanksgiving? Not not that long, right? You go to the grocery store, yeah. How long do you spend getting ready for Easter? Not that long, right? Any Valentine's Day, how do you know if Valentine's Day is a holiday, right? Super Bowl, that's a holiday, right? Do you spend a lot of time getting ready for that? Not really. Christmas, though, how much time do you spend getting ready for Christmas, Right? Long time, long time. And so we it's a Christ, different holiday. We spend a lot of time getting ready for Christmas. But then when Christmas ends, what happens? The decorations usually stay up, right? The Christmas tree is usually up until the end of January or February in my house. We're one of those people. So the Christmas decorations stay up longer. You're still eating food for a couple of days, a couple weeks, that are from Christmas or before Christmas. Not only that... We still talk about Christmas when Christmas is over, do we not? You're gonna to go to work tomorrow, right? What are people gonna say? How was your Christmas, right? Kids are gonna to go to school tomorrow. Not tomorrow, like a week, right? I mean, it would be nice tomorrow, but in a week. And the kids, what are the kids gonna talk about? How was your Christmas? What'd you get for Christmas? What'd you do for Christmas? We're, we still talk about Christmas even after Christmas is over. Did you do anything special? Did you go anywhere? What did you do? What did you get? How much weight did you gain? Did you do, like, all these different things we talk about about Christmas when Christmas is over? I remember one year, someone asked me here in the church to go, and this was about two or three weeks after Christmas ended. They go, What did you get your wife for, for Christmas? And I looked them dead in the face, and it, it was a, a lady, it was a woman of the church. I looked her in her face, and I go, I got Amy a crock pot. And I did. I did. I actually got her a crock pot. And if looks could kill, right, I would have been dead on the back floor of the church because you don't get your wife a crock pot. She asked for a crock pot, so I got her a crock pot. And I got her other things too, ladies, so don't, don't, like, don't worry. Like, I got her a host of other things. But I mentioned the crock pot, and that's when they go, still, weeks later, what would you get your wife? You see, Christmas, we spend a lot of time looking ahead of Christmas coming. And then when Christmas Day is over, we spend time talking about what had happened. But here's a question for you. In light of that, are you and I glorying in the right thing? Do we glory about everything that is right and true in and around Christmas? You see, this morning we finish up our series... Uh, as we look at Come All Ye Faithful. Now, I know this series has been a bit different, but I pray that the Lord has been working in your life. And we've been seeing a lot of different things over this month. We've seen that Christmas ought to energize our worship. We've seen that Christmas ought to set ablaze the hope that we have because of Jesus. We've seen that Christmas ought to leave us in wonder and awe. And then just two nights ago, it actually feels like a week and a half ago to me, but only two nights ago, we saw that Christmas ought to uh, enable us to be still, to have a peace. Well, this morning, there's one more, and that is Christmas ought to refocus our glory to the one that deserves all glory, and that is the Lord. You see, as you and I, we end the year and head into a new year, Christmas ought to refocus our glory to the Lord. So how about we get to work and and just see what I mean on refocusing our glory to the Lord. And so in the spirit of Christmas, I have two points for you today. I don't know what it is with me and two points lately, but that's going to change. All right. So I got two points for you. Does any of you know the first point we're going to look at today? The background, good job. those of you that have been with us for the last couple of weeks, we're going to look at the background, right? And then we're going to look at point number two, glory to God. And they're not in the bulletin, so you're going to need to write those. But we're going to start with this, the background. The background of all calm, all ye faithful. A few months back, about August, September, thereabouts, in that time frame, I was sitting in my office with the hymnal open going, what Christmas hymns are we going to look at this year? I knew the series, I knew what I wanted to do, but I still had to pick the hymns. And so I'm looking through the hymnal, going, what are we going to do? And one of the first ones that came to my mind was Come All Ye Faithful. I'm like, we should look at that. You want to know why Come All Ye Faithful was one of the first hymns that come to my mind for this series? Because it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite Christmas hymn. And since I'm the pastor, right, and I got to pick the hymns, I figured we might as well look at my favorite one, right? It was one of those things, right? And so I read the words, all three verses. I read the words way back when I go, I can preach on that. There's a couple things I could pull out from that and preach on. And I would love to look into the background of this hymn. And so I picked it. And we always sing, I don't know if you realize this, Come All Ye Faithful is the very first Christmas hymn we sing, and it is always the last Christmas hymn we sing every year, because that's what Morgan decides to do, right? I said, we'll end this series with this song. So that's where we are this morning. So fast forward to this past Thursday. I don't know if that makes sense. So fast forward from August, about August, to this past Thursday. I get into my office. And I start prepping the message for this morning. And I start looking into all come all ye faithful. And I was excited. It's my favorite hymn. You know, you're looking forward to Christmas. go, I'm going to get a great gift. And guess what happens? In the first gift, you open up and it sucks, right? What happens to all your excitement? It jumps out the window. Guess what happened on Thursday when I got all, I'm all excited for this hymn. I'm like, yes, yeah, it's going to be great. And I start studying it all my excitement for this hymn literally jumped out of the window. It was gone. It was gone. I had none. None. You want to know why? Because all the other hymns I picked out, all the other hymns that we have looked at, they had some pretty cool things about them, right? Their background, maybe an influence of what happened. We even saw the guy who wrote Silent Night. His grandfather was the town's executioner, right? Like you don't, like, these are things, I'm like, there has to be things like that for come all ye faithful, right? No. You know what I found? Nothing. It was like getting socks for Christmas when you were seven. Nothing. There's hardly anything about this hymn as a background. So I'm going to take the next 40 seconds and give you the background of this hymn. Even who wrote this hymn, it has been widely debated. Widely debated. Some people think a king wrote it. Some some monks wrote it. But most scholars, musical scholars if you would, believe that this hymn was written in the 18th century by a man with the name John Francis Wade. And so they believe that John Francis Wade wrote this hymn in the 18th century and a lot of them, once again there's debate on this as well, believe that he is the one that put the music to the words as well. And so there's debate on that. And I said, some others think monks wrote it. But let me ask you this. How many verses are to, oh, come all ye faithful? Do any of you know that? Right? Do any of you know how many verses are a part of, come all ye faithful? Does anybody know? Uh, What? Oh, yeah, yeah, three, right? There's three verses, right? Some of you, I'm going like this, and some of you are like, two? And I'm checking, making sure I wasn't having one of those Polish moments and only had two fingers up instead of three, right? We know, come all ye faithful, with three verses in it. But do you realize over the course of time that so many verses have been added to this song that sometimes it's upwards to seven verses that come, all you faithful. But there's three. And the song came to America when it was translated by a man by the name of Frederick Oakley. And he put it in a hymnal in 1852. Right? So let me do some, some quick math. That is... Less than twenty years before this church was founded. Our church was founded here in Plymouth in 1869. It didn't get into this building until eighteen seventy two, my memory serves me correct. So our church is almost as old as this hymn. That just came to my mind. But do you know that the what the original title was? I was like, no, Pastor, I wasn't living then. Let us even go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has passed. That was the title. That was the title. Let us even go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has passed. Surprisingly, that title did not catch on with people. Surprisingly, right? And so they changed it not long after what we know of today is, Come all ye faithful. And by the way, today we sing verses 1, 3, and 4. I know, I told you there's only three verses, but we sing verses 1, 3, and 4. The second verse does not get sung much. And I'm gonna put the second verse on the screen. I want to know if you know it. The second verse is this. True God of true God, light from light eternal, lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb, so of the Father begotten, not created. That's the actual second verse of come all ye faithful. And there's a lot of theology in it. A lot. It actually lines up very, very closely to what we call the Nicene Creed. Very closely. There's a lot into that. But we don't sing it. And so there you go. You have the background. You see why my excitement jumped out of the window? (laughs) Like socks. But thankfully, I already had something I wanted to pull out of this song and talk to you about in light of what we sing in this song. And what that is, is simply this. Glory to God. The thing that I like about Come All Ye Faithful, the thing I like about this hymn, and I think what a lot of people like about this hymn, but may not realize, is that this hymn is a call to worship. The hymn is a call to praise. It's a call to adoration unto the Lord. And I think in our heart of hearts, our soul, we really want to do that. God has created us to be worshipers. He's created us to worship. We're always worshiping. But so listen to the song. Ready? O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come let us adore him. Now about verse 2, or actually verse 3. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God, glory in the highest, O come let us adore Him. This hymn is all about coming and worshiping and adoring the Lord. It is a hymn that is calling us, inviting us to come to Bethlehem and to see the newborn king. Now, we can't go to Bethlehem and, and see the newborn king. We can go to Bethlehem, but we can't see the newborn king. And so, in our imagination and our heart and our mind it is for us to go there and to see the king in the manger, to see Jesus born and laid in the manger and worship Him. to Worship Christ the Lord. And the song goes and goes, Oh, come let us adore Him. What, what does it mean to adore Him? Because you sing that at the end of every verse. Oh, let us come adore Him. But what is that? What does it actually mean to adore God? Well, to adore means to love someone or something deeply. That's what it means. It means to love and respect someone, something, deeply. It also means to worship or to venerate. And so this song, will Come All Ye Faithful, is an invitation calling us to come and worship, to give worth back to the Lord. That's what it is. It is a call to come, not just to love Christ deeply, But it is to respect Him. It is to worship Him. But the song goes on to say this, Glory to God, glory in the highest. It is a call to give God not just adoration, not just worship, not just love, not just respect, but to give God glory. And to give it to Him in the highest. So what does that mean? What does it mean to give God glory in the highest? Well, to give God glory is something that you and I do almost every single day during the year, especially at Christmas. But unfortunately, when we do it, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, God is not associated with what we're doing. Pastor, I have no idea what you just said. It's the day after Christmas. I'll give you an example. What is it that we do after Christmas and throughout the year? A couple years ago, when my wife got the crock pot, so I can't believe my husband got a crock pot. She went around telling people that her husband got her a crock pot. She loved it. You want to know why she loved it? It was bigger than the one that she had beforehand. And the lid worked, right? It's amazing. She said, crock pot was great. Have you ever said that to anybody about the Christmas presents that you received? Maybe it's something better than a crock pot, right? You go up, your co-worker, you know, a family member, a friend, the neighbor, go, you can't believe what so-and-so got me. Have you ever done something like that? We do it all the time. I did it this morning. My wife got me a Nerf gun with 32 bullets in it for Christmas, Right? It's fantastic. I love it, right? Yes, she did get shot with it, but so did the kids, right? And so I was telling Tom, because Tom and I both have an affiliation with Nerf guns. We like Nerf guns, right? We shoot our kids with them. And our wives, okay? where well, I'm, I'm honest, right? It's all good, right? And so I'm, Tom, you got to see this. Like, look what my wife got me for Christmas. We've done that. What else do you do? Oh, those cookies you made are great. Have you ever done that? Cookies you did were great. You go to somebody's house for dinner. Oh, that was amazing. What do you tell? That's good stuff. What do you do throughout the year? Oh, you really need to go to this restaurant. The atmosphere at this restaurant is great. The food at the restaurant is great. It's amazing. Oh, you should have been at pastor's Bible study this week, right? He actually, like, made sense, right? Like, one of these things... You know, do you know what I mean by like complimenting and giving? That is giving glory. That we're giving glory to somebody else for what they've done. Whether they cooked a good meal, gave a good Bible study, gave a good gift. Whatever the case may be, when we're exalting somebody, when we're praising somebody, when we're speaking about them in a good sense, lifting them up, what we're doing is glorifying them. And I'm not saying that is wrong. There's a wrong way to do that, yes. But we can do that and honor somebody and lift them up for what they have done in a way that is good and godly. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that unless it's sinful, coming from our heart. But that is giving glory to someone or something else. Exalting them. Lifting them up for what they've done. The problem is our glories, too often goes to someone or something else, especially at Christmas time. Where we'll lift up this gift, we'll lift up this person, we'll lift up this song, we'll lift up this place. But we don't lift up and glorify the one that deserves it. Our glory is always given to someone else or something else. And that is why I said at the start that Christmas ought to refocus our glory back on to God. Not that we can't exalt and lift other people up when it is rightly done, but that our glory and our exaltation of God should be first and foremost. It should be the highest. You and I are to give God glory. And you know what that means, to give God glory? It means to acknowledge His greatness and to give Him honor. That could be done in your minds. That could be done in your prayer. While you're walking, while you're at work, while you're doing something in the kitchen, that in your mind, you know, Lord, I'm just so grateful and thankful for You. I did that this morning while I was praying for you all. You don't know this, but I pray for you every Sunday before you all get here. Those of you online, I pray for you as well. But I just standing here praying and, and just thanking God for how He has worked in people's lives this year doesn't mean everything was yay, but God was still working. And so when I was thanking God, of God, thank you for working here. Thank you for your majesty. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And you're focusing in on that and you're giving that up to God. You know what that is? That is you glorifying God. That is you giving God glory in the highest. But the other way that we can do it is also through our conversations where we're talking with each other on a Sunday morning, it's great when you come to church and you tell somebody, you come up to somebody, you go, hey, you know what God did in my life? You know what God's doing in my life? You know, I see God doing this in your life. Incredible encouragement for them and you, but that glorifies God because you're acknowledging God's greatness and His goodness and His faithfulness and His trustworthiness and His sovereignty in the lives of other people. You're having conversation. Amy's grandmother is is the best person that I've ever known that does this just in a normal conversation she'd be like, yeah the Lord has done this. Like, and she could be talking to somebody who is the strongest atheist on the face of the planet. She'll like, yeah, the Lord did this, Jesus is doing this and the, just like nothing like we're talking like she was talking about her favorite sports team. And so when we do that we're giving God glory. You see we are far too quick to sell somebody else where they should eat because of the good food than we are about telling them about the One who created them, that came for them, that died for them, that rose for them. You see, to give God glory means to exalt His attributes over and over. That this is God. Look at what God did. Look what God is doing. Look at what God said. Look at what God promised. And we're exalting God. Lifting Him up. And we're to do it to the highest. That our honor and glory should go to Him first and foremost before going to someone else or to something else. But why? Why should we give God glory to the highest? Well, that's a great question. I'm really glad that you asked this morning. Because we often need to know the why behind things, right? Why? And this is the part of the song that got me weeks ago. Ready? Yea, Lord, we greet Thee. Born this happy morning. Jesus, to Thee be all glory given. Do you know what comes next? Word of the Father, Father, now in flesh appearing. Kind of weak on that one, but it's okay. Introverts, don't worry. I think we're going to be done with the interacting, maybe, for a while. It's all good. It's all good. But notice what the song says. To Thee be glory given. But why? Why give glory to God? Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Why? Why we give God glory in the highest? Because the Word of the Father is now in flesh appearing. And as I read those words in the song, my mind immediately went to John chapter 1, verse 14. Which says this, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse, John chapter 1, verse 14, some people say is Christmas in a nutshell. That if you ever needed one line to explain what Christmas is, it's John chapter 1, verse 14. You don't even need the whole verse. All you need is the Word became flesh. That's Christmas. Christmas. Now, I make a lot of grammatical errors on my slides, right? You probably realized that. Like, why does he have it spelled that way? Because I can't spell, right? And sometimes I'll put the, the uh, correctly spelled word up there, but it's not the right word, if you know what I mean, right? Sometimes it doesn't give me the red line to tell me I did something wrong. I don't always put commas and everything along those lines. You know, nobody reads my stuff. I write for me, right? It's one of those things, right? I did not make a grammatical error with this slide. The word word is capitalized. It is supposed to be capitalized. That is not a mistake on my part. And you have to understand that there's a lot of theology in what this verse says, a lot. We could spend the next six weeks on this one verse. Okay? A lot of theology. But, Merry Christmas. We're not going to go theology today. Okay? You can thank me later. Okay? One of the main reasons, because we covered a lot of the theology last week, but I knew and explained something to you. And then I want to lay three practical things at your feet from this verse as to why we give God glory. You got that? So I have to explain one thing and then three practical things that won't take us long, don't worry, for you to grab hold of going into a new year. Okay? Are you with me? Some of you are tired. I'm tired too, but we're all doing good, okay? Anybody need to do a jumping jack? Okay, good. Some of you are like, nope, no, nope, not at all. All As I mentioned, you'll notice the, that the word, word, is capitalized. And the reason that that is capitalized is not talking about a word as to speak a word. It's actually referring to a person. It is a name for a person. And that person is Jesus. That John has been using this title, if you would, the Word, for Jesus, going all the way back to John chapter 1, verse 1. And he's been using it up until this point. You go, why does John call Jesus the Word? Why is that? Well, what John is trying to do is he's trying to connect with his immediate audience. And his immediate audience were made up of Jewish people and Greek people. And so he's trying to connect with them the truths about Jesus. And so you have to understand this. In the Jewish writings, a lot of times, especially in the Targums, the Jews, the nation of Israel, they would not say the name of God, nor would they write the name of God. They would not write God out. They would not write G-O-D. They wouldn't do that. They would not write his name out. And so in a lot of their writings, especially the Targums, they would use the word Memrah, okay? The Hebrew word Memrah, right? And what the Hebrew word Memra means, it means a uh, self-expression of God. And so what the Jews would do is this. When they're talking about God, writing about God, instead of writing God said, they would write the word said. Okay? Because they didn't want to use God's name in vain, take it lightly or anything along those lines. Now when you look in the Old Testament, when you see God in the Old Testament where you read about God in the Old Testament, what is He doing most of the time? Speaking. Right? God spoke creation into existence. God's speaking to His prophets. He's speaking to Moses. God is speaking. And so to the Jews, God's word was His uh, self-expression to them. That when you are trying to get to know somebody, know about them... You need them to communicate with you, right? Because if they don't talk to you, you're not going to know anything about them. And so for the Jews, when they looked at God, they said His word is His self-expression. And so when they said, instead of them saying God said, they said the word said. And so in short, the phrase the word, Memrah, for the Jews, literally God. You follow me on that? It's not so. When John wrote this and he wrote the word, for the Jews are reading, oh, he's talking about God. He's talking about God there. But the Greeks, on the other hand, they had the word logos or logos, depending on who's saying it. It's Kind of like one of those tomato or tomato things, which is it? And the Greek word is logos, which is actually the word there in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Greeks looked at the world, they looked at creation, and they said, man, there's an order to everything. You see, the Greeks are smart. They're like, there's an order. The sun comes up and the sun goes down every day. There's seasons. Every year, about this time, it gets cold. Every year, about this time, it gets warm. Every year, about this time, things start to grow. And so, the Greeks saw that there was a season. That there's there's an order of things, right? Every September, what happens? Pumpkin spice comes out, and the pastor has to talk about pumpkin spice, right? That there is an order to our world. You all follow me on that, right? And so the Greeks saw that, and they go, because there is an order to this world, there has to be someone or something that put an order to everything. And so the Greeks, they called that the logos. It is the chief ordering principle, if you will. They looked at it and go, we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's a person. We don't know if it's a spirit. We don't know if it's an it. We don't know what it is, but there is something that puts an order to creation, and they called it the Logos. And so John goes, the Word became flesh. And so what he's saying to the Jews is this, God became flesh. And the person that is is Jesus. Jesus. And to the Greeks, he's going, okay, you know that there's an order, the Logos. Well, the Logos, the one that has put order to everything, he's become flesh, and that's Jesus. And he's trying to connect with them. And so watch this. The word Jesus, God who has always been and always will be God, as we saw last week, became flesh, which is Jesus adding humanity to his deity, as we saw last week as well. That Jesus is one person with two natures, which is what we talked about last week. I know you all remember that, right? The Greek, uh, the theological terms, the kenosis theory. You all have that at the tip of your tongue. I know that, right? But we talked about that last week. That Jesus is one person, but he is fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. And so what did Jesus do? Well, apart from all that we saw last week, John goes, he made his dwelling among us. Get this. Go look at the screen. Look at the verse. The Word became flesh. That's everything we talked about last week and then some. Well, what did Jesus do? Because Jesus is the Word. He made His dwelling among us. And that's the first practical thing I want to lay at your feet this morning. That Jesus came and He made His dwelling among us. You know, Pastor, I, I, what? so? I want you to get this. I want you to grab hold of it. God came here and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling, some of you might have the word tabernacle instead. The word dwelling there, the word tabernacle, it means to pitch your tent. Some of you that come to our church, some of you that are part of uh, uh, our church, you go camping. But you don't go camping because you sleep in campers. Okay? Camping is not camping when you sleep in a camper. Camping is sleeping in a tent, or not even in a tent. It's a shelter when it's built by your own hands of what you could find in the wilderness. I've done that. It's not fun. You don't have to do that, right? But a lot of you go camping in a camper, right? I can't make that fit with this word, right? So imagine you're actually camping. You're out for a hike, and you find a place to pitch your tent. Well, that looks like a nice level spot, dry spot. I'm going to pitch my tent there. What you just do when you pitch your tent is you tabernacle you dwelled there. Because the word dwelled, dwelling, or tabernacle, literally means to pitch a tent. It means that's where you're staying. That's where you're going to set up camp to use that language. And that's what Jesus did. He pitched his tent among us. And go, well, pastor, I didn't live back then, so Jesus didn't pitch his tent among me. But he did. I mean, get this. John goes Old Testament here. And he said he made his dwelling among us. John is thinking of the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament... When the nation of Israel was coming out of Egypt, what did they have? They had a place called the tent of meeting, then they had the tabernacle, and then eventually under King Solomon they built the the, the temple. And so the tent of meeting and the tabernacle, and ultimately later on the temple is where God's dwelling came and dwelled. That God's spirit, his presence came and dwelled in the tent of meeting, it dwelled in the tabernacle, and eventually dwelled in the temple that when you wanted to meet God, that if you are able to meet God, where Moses would go to meet God and the priest would go to meet God, you would go to the tent of meeting, you would go to the tabernacle, you would go to the temple because that is where God was at. That is where God's presence was at. That is where God dwelled. That is where God pitched His tent, that you had to go there to meet with God. Well, guess what? The tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the temple are no longer in existence. They're all gone. So where do you meet God at? Where do you meet God at? Well, Jesus came tabernacle. Came and pitched his tent among us. God came to take up residency not in a building, but as a person to dwell among mankind. To live among us, with us, like us. And Jesus came, and because of the fact that God came and set His dwelling up with us, that Jesus, that in Christ, because of Jesus, we can meet God wherever we are. We don't have to go to a designated area. We don't have to go to a designated building. Because God came as a person in the flesh. That if we want to meet with God, talk with God, rejoice with God, mourn with God, we don't need to go anywhere special. You do it on your couch. You can meet with God anywhere because of Jesus. Oh, and not the mention. You read the book of Ephesians and Paul tells us the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That when you're a believer, that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within the believer. Tabernacles. Pitches his tent. Sets up residency within you. And because of that, God is with us all the time. Emmanuel, God with us. Not to burst your bubble or to freak you out. You're starting a new year in a couple days. After the last couple years, I don't know if any of us are excited for a new year. Maybe you are, hopefully you are, I pray that you are. But we all know that every year is like a roller coaster. Good things, bad things, things in the middle, all, everything along those lines you know what we get to hold on to as we get to go into a new year? That God's with us. Always. No matter where we're at, no matter what is going on, that God is always with us. And because of that, we give God glory to the highest. Because He's with us no matter what. But it's not just that. John goes on to say this. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a lot there, but I want to focus in on one thing in that. And what that is, is this, that we have seen His glory. The glory of one, the one and only. John goes, we have seen God. They've seen Jesus, and Jesus is God. He goes, we have seen God's glory. Because we've seen Jesus But how? How could they see God's glory? Wouldn't they die if they saw God's glory? Yeah, they would. They saw it a little bit when Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter, John, and James, they they saw Jesus shining. They saw part of his glory. But John is not talking about God's light shining off of him. He's not talking about his full glory and all this light that we would normally think about. What John is doing here is actually he's going Old Testament again on us. You see, glory, God's glory, is the sum of all the, his attributes and his perfections. I know, what a line to give you the day after I almost said Easter, right? Whew, almost the day after Christmas, right? God's glory is the sum Right? Of all His attributes, all His perfection. So all that God is, is His glory. John goes, we saw that. But how? Well, John is thinking back to the Old Testament. Some of you might remember this, some of you may not. But you can read it, it's Exodus chapter 33 and 34. God goes, Moses, I want you to lead the nation of Israel up out of here and take them to the promised land. And, and Moses goes, God, I ain't going anywhere unless I know you're going with me. And so because of that, God, I'm not moving. Think of like Moses' bravery here. God, I'm not going until I see you. I'm not moving until I see your glory. And God goes, okay. He goes, You can't see my glory or you'll die. But what I will do, Moses, is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll walk past you and you could see my afterglow. The best way that I can describe it to you, you ever seen a boat go through water and you could still see the, the, the trail, if you would, behind the boat? That's what Moses saw. He saw the trail, not the boat. Okay? So he saw the afterglow of God. And God goes, You're going to see my, my glory, Moses. And then you know what God does? He speaks. He goes, I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, abounding in love, slow to anger. And what God did is He showed His glory to Moses through His traits, through His attributes. Moses was seeing and even hearing God's glory. See, John is telling us that they saw God's glory in the love of Jesus. They saw God's glory in the mercy of Jesus. They saw God's glory in the grace of Jesus. They saw His glory in the forgiveness of Jesus. They saw God's glory in Jesus calming the waves and raising the dead, healing the sick. You see, in all of that, they saw God's glory. They saw God act. That they were able to see who God is and what God is like. They saw His glory in action. And because of that, John is able to say, we saw His glory. And here's the greatness in all of this because God came and pitched His tent, and because God showed His glory in action, He showed Himself, He showed the sum of all that He is, we can know God. There's a greatness in that. You see, we can know God because God has made Himself known to us in and through the person and the work of Jesus. Get that. That we can know God because He made Himself known to us in and through Jesus. He has shown to us what He is like. He has shown to us how He responds. He has shown to us what He wants in and through the person, the work of Jesus. We can know God because He has made Himself known to us. And because of that, We ought to give him the glory that he deserves. You get to go into a new year. You get to leave here today with the opportunity of knowing God. Because Jesus came and he revealed God to us because he is God. I know life is hard. I know some of you have things that are scheduled that are not fun. I know a lot of you that are healing from things. You're wondering about things. I'm not even talking about what's going on in the world. I'm just talking about what's in your life. You need discernment. You need strength. You need encouragement. You need wisdom. You need guidance. You need, you want to stay for a couple hours and we'll make a list? You need it but we can know God because Jesus came. And we can go into every situation, every difficult situation, every trying situation, not alone. Because God came, made His dwelling among us, and showed us His glory. And we get to walk with Him. Serve him. And so, in closing, our glory ought to be given solely to Jesus. Our love, our adoration, our worship ought to be given to the one that came, that dwelled among us, that showed himself to us. Because he God, because he died in our place, because he rose again, so that in him we too will rise again and dwell with God in his Glory. That is why we sing. That is why we praise. That, as Mr. Wade says, is why we give God glory in the highest. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your incredible glory. Thank you that you came and dwelled among us. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that we're able to see your glory in your Word, but we're also able to see Your glory, Lord, in the lives of others as they act, as we act. We get to see You at work, Lord. But I pray that You'd help us to come to know You better. I pray that you give us a hunger and a thirst, an unquenchable thirst to know You more, to know You better, to know Your Word more and better. So that we would see and know and experience Your glory all the more.